0: It's good to be here this morning. This morning what we're going to talk so let me start off with this. For the last two weeks, uh, Pastor Terry started two weeks ago talking about choices, and then last week talked about focus, and this week, kind of tying those two together, I'm going to talk about impact, the impact, the purpose meeting the purpose of God in our generation. You know, the fact of the matter is, we have a God who loves us. We have a God who is love. And because he is love, if there is nothing he wants more for the kingdom of God to erupt into this world and for you and I to be in relationship with him. But the only way that happens is if we have a choice. If we have choice. That choice is preserved, that, the, the, the preservation of choice in our lives preserves the very dignity of our creation. But that means we can choose to do wrong, we can choose to do evil, just like we can choose to do good and do what's right. So we're called then to focus our lives, and 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 we looked at in the the prophet uh, Haggai that that what he was prophesying to Israel. They came out of, uh, uh they came out of exile, and they spent more time, uh, uh, building their own lives than building the house of God. God had given them a mission, and instead of focusing on the mission of God, they focused on their lives, and as a result, they couldn't figure out why isn't there fruit in my life. Why isn't there fruit? so, what I'm going to talk about this morning kind of brings these all together is impact, the purpose of God in our generation. Almost as an afterthought, Paul preaches this in one of his messages in the book of Acts, it's in the, the 13th chapter. He says this As for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was la- laid with his fathers. And I, I've read that over and over and over again. What an amazing thing to be said! He served the purpose of God in his generation. What I hope that we take away this morning is this. You are not an accident. You exist in time, in place, in this geography for a reason. You can choose to live what that purpose is or you can choose to reject it. God is going to bring about his plan. Whose side are you on? The impact of your life is greater than than you think it is you are not insignificant and then we'll look at a few ways how to unpack that it is so easy for us to see our lives as something that doesn't matter we live in a modern culture in which we say there is no grand plan there's no ultimate purpose or meaning and you and i are just literally the random uh, collocation of atoms. It randomly coming together and accidentally appeared. I, I like how somebody put it. We went from the goo to the zoo to you. But here's the thing. That's funny, but that is exa- if that is true, there is no meaning. There is no purpose. There is no grand plan. There is no overarching reason for our lives. Richard Dawkins, the famous biologist from Oxford, he puts it this way. He says, DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. How do you like that? Tell that to the people who went through the Holocaust. We're just dancing to our DNA. Tell that to those who are uh, uh, um, in prison camps in China right now whose organs are being harvested while they're still alive. They're just dancing to their DNA. Tell that to the person who's been violated in their life. We're just dancing to our DNA. You see, the Bible says this in direct opposition to that. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before God created any one of those atoms that collocated together, that became you or me, he conceived of every person in this room. He decided exactly when and exactly where we would be. We have a purpose in life. You are not an accident. You are not an accident. It says, it says that even uh, uh, that we should be holy and blameless in him. This is our purpose, to be holy and blameless in him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with which he blessed us in our beloved. You see, the world says you've got to make up your own purpose and figure it out. The problem is, is if you make up your own purpose and figure it out, what happens if your purpose is crossed with somebody else's purpose? Whose purpose is right? The fact is God has a purpose for all of us and it is found in his love. He desires to love you and for you to be his love. We have been predestined to that, to be his children. You are not an accident. You exist in this time and this place for a reason. There's a reason that you're here. David wrote this in the Psalms, an incredible revelation he had from God. He says, Lord, you formed my inward parts. Now what's amazing is because David elsewhere says, I was brought forth in iniquity. In other words, we live in, a, we live in a world in which people do iniquitous things and we pass that iniquity on from one another. Yet God works his miraculous hand through all of that, drawing you and me to him. And David says in the midst of that, he says this, you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? You're not an accident. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. God had a book, it is for your life, the will and the purpose, his will and purpose, and where you fit in that. You are here right now for a reason. You are here for a purpose. God created you for that. The question isn't whether or not you have a purpose. Right now, the question is whether or not you choose to live it. You see, even though God has written that book, you can live it or you don't have to. You can reject it. We're gonna look at a couple of lives. God is an officer and a gentleman. He won't force you to choose. He will bring about his plan, but he offers you the ability to participate with him in it. So let's first talk about King Solomon and King Jeroboam. I got tons of scriptures here. I'm just going to paraphrase them as we go through them. I put the scriptures up so you can look them up later. This is in 1 Kings. Go to 1 Kings chapter 11 and and read that whole chapter uh, uh, all the way through 13, and you'll see this whole story there. But I'm going to give little pieces of it. So, God called Solomon, anointed Solomon. And, but, but it says this in verse 9. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. Twice Yahweh appears to Solomon. Twice he calls to him to have a whole heart following him like his son David. And he commanded him that he should not go after other gods. But Solomon ignored the, the, the word of God. And the Lord said, therefore, since you have practiced and, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. I had a plan for your life, Solomon. I had a plan that you should always have someone on the throne. I had a plan that you would follow in the footsteps of your, da- of your father David. But you have rejected that plan. And in rejecting that plan, you have led this nation to follow other gods. And so therefore, I am taking away ten of the tribes from you. And he turns around and he finds another man. His name is Jeroboam. And Ahijah the prophet uh, goes to him and he says this. He says, listen. This, this garment here, he took a garment and he tore it up in 12 pieces. He said, here's 10 of them. You're going to get 10 of them. That means God is giving you, God has anointed you and brought you to this place. He has written in the book for your life that you will rule over Israel. Here it is. And he made the same covenant with him he did with David. Same promise. He says, but I will take, verse 35... But I will take out of his son's hand, out of the son of Solomon, and give it to you ten tribes. And I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you listen to all that I command you, and you walk in my ways, and you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, you keep my statutes, you keep my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house. As I built for David, I will give to you Israel. Do you see Jeroboam had a plan from God he had written down? But what does Jeroboam do? Verse 26 in chapter 12, Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. And what happened is he gets all afraid that everybody from up north where he's king is gonna go down south and worship down there. And then they're, they're gonna wanna join back with the southern kingdom and they're gonna kill him. Instead of fearing the word of God, he fears man. And in fearing man and desiring his own ambition, So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, verse 28. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And this thing Jeroboam did, did and this thing Jeroboam did, and after this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but the priests for the high places, but for the priests of the high places from among all the peoples, any who, any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam as he cut it off to destroy it from the face of the earth. Did you follow what he He creates two golden calves. He sets them up. He says, these are your God's Israel, and it leads the entire nation away from God. God had a plan for his life. He rejected it. Why? Because of fear and selfish ambition. But there is another person we're going to look at. Her name is Esther, Queen Esther. She was, she was carried off as a captive to a foreign land, and she lived there in honoring God. She becomes queen. Read the book. It's short. It's fantastic. It's good. We're just going to talk about one little part of it. There was a wicked man. His name was Haman, and he, tar- he talked the king into destroying the Jews. Her cousin Mordecai finds out about it and starts fasting and weeping before God, and, and, uh, and she's like asking Mordecai, why are you doing this? So Mordecai she sent a servant to ask Mordecai. So Mordecai gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor to plead with him on her behalf. Mordecai's like, look, here's a decree. We're going to be killed. Go to the king, please. You're the queen. You have access to him. You can go talk to him. And she turns around and this is what she says, but you don't understand. I haven't been called to the king for 30 days, and every single person in here knows if I go into the king, he can kill me if if he doesn't ask for me. Listen, she didn't know the outcome of her choice and decision any more than you or I would know the outcome if we had to do the same thing right now. All she knew is there was a decree that the Israelites were going to be destroyed. She didn't know. In fact, she knew there was a very good chance the moment she walks in there She could be killed or exiled. That's what happened to the last queen. The last queen who took it upon herself to see herself bigger than the king got exiled. That's why she became queen. So they fast and they pray. But before that, Mordecai says to her, Mordecai says to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, you've been put here for this time and for this place. There's a reason for you to exist. Yes, you're afraid. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you might lose your life. But stepping out and doing the purpose of God is greater than your life. And by the way, God is going to have his way Whether you choose to do it or not, the only choice to make in all this is whether or not you get to participate in it. And we're sitting here 2,000 years later talking about this young queen in that palace who had no idea what was going to happen impacting our lives. That's the only thing that has to play in this. So God is going to bring about his plan. God wrote a book for Esther. God wrote a book for Jeroboam. Jeroboam didn't choose it. Esther did. God's going to bring about his plan. The question is whose side are you on? Joshua takes the armies of Israel and he goes into the land and, and here he is. He's been anointed by God to, to, to lead Mo. he's the successor after Moses. He's going to conquer the land. And they come in and they come to this place, and there's this man that's standing there, he's got a sword, and I'm imagining he's this very fearsome looking man. And Joshua says to them, Whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? And the man says, Neither. I am the commander of the armies of the Lord. The question isn't whether someone's on their side or our side, the question is, are we on god's side joshua yes you've been anointed to lead but i am the one you're to follow who have you decided to follow you see peter says this peter says the lord's not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness But he's patient patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not slow. He's going to bring about his plan. When we look around and we say, God, when? God, why? God, where? We have to say to ourselves, what would happen if he came back now? How many people would not have the opportunity? He's not slow. He's long-suffering for your sake and for mine. And it says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to happen. We don't know it's going to happen. It's going to happen in a time when we're not expecting it. And he says, then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will burn up and be dissolved. The earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. The language here, time for a study at another time, asked me. But it's talking about this. There is a new heavens. There is a new earth. God is going to change the forces that are and put in the king of righteousness, Jesus Christ. And he says this, since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? How should we live? If that's true, if you believe Jesus is coming back, if you believe he is returning, if you believe he came the first time, that he died, that he rose from the dead, That he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And right now, His a mission for us to accomplish. How should we be living? Should we be living after ourselves or after him? Catch this next verse. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How many times have I heard a brother or sister, when? When, Lord, when? When's he coming back? When's he going to do it? Peter just said right there, the way you live, the way I live, Determines when he comes back. That word hasten. It means to cause something to happen soon. To cause to happen soon. To hurry it up. Making the day of God come soon. Hurrying up the day of God. Doing your best to cause. We By participating and understanding our lives have impact. He has given us a a mission. We are to carry the gospel to the end of the earth. We are to carry it to our family. We are to carry it to our workplaces. We are to carry it in our own lives. We are to carry it to our neighborhoods. We are to live the life of Jesus Christ here and there. We just don't understand that we matter that much. We think somebody else will do it. We don't see how important we actually are. How much you count. The thing is, is one day you will find it out. You will find it out. I just hope it's not too late. See, we have much greater impact than we know that we have. I need your imagination for a minute. It won't be hard. Pretend like I have an apple right here. I heard this story from a rabbi. I think it was Jonathan Sachs, who was the chief rabbi of the UK, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find out who it was. But I love this story. I've never forgotten the story. I'll you a picture right now. I have one apple right here in my hands. How many apples do I have? One. I got one apple, right? This is not a trick question. But in a way it is, right? Because if I cut that apple in half, what's on the inside and the very core of it? Seeds. All right, if I take those seeds and I plant those seeds and trees come up, how many apples do I have now? I mean, I don't know how many apples because those are going to have seeds. Who will have seeds? Who will have seeds? In a couple of generations, there's far more than I could ever even count. Okay? Now, what does that have to do with your life and to my life? I'll tell you what it has to do with this. Here's Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sinned the impact of the life of adam went far beyond the short little time he was on earth what th- what that is saying is literally the seed for every evil thing that has ever been done was contained in his first act of sin does that mean he's responsible for all of it no but does it mean he influenced it yes and you see, how many, times have, how many times have we said this, right? How many times we go, oh, only if Adam and Eve hadn't have eaten that piece of fruit. If they had only not. That You miss the point of the story. The, the, the fact that they are historical, yes. But the fact is they are also archetypical. What the story is telling us is any two people, you take any couple anywhere in the world and you stand them there and we're going to do the same thing. What does that mean? Your actions live on past your life far longer than your life could ever last. We, you ever wonder how in a world uh, uh, eternal punishment could be eternal? Well, imagine your sin being passed on generation after generation after generation after generation. Deuteronomy chapter five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them the Lord talking for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, in the same way that what we do wrong has impact, what we do right has impact. The grace of God is so amazing. The fact that I can come before the grace of God and that all of the legal demands of everything that I have done can be washed and cleaned by his blood and I can begin to now live in that grace and to love someone, be kind to someone. And you say, what difference does that make? Well, I'll tell you, when you're in line at the grocery store and that person behind the counter has a horrible day and they're thinking about everything going wrong in their life and you treat them nice and you have a kind word to them and it lifts them up, it just changed the next person's in line's life too. we don't see how important we are we go back to our character jeroboam i'm just going to run through these really fast king nadab son of jeroboam first 1 kings 15:26 he did what was evil in the sight of the lord walking in the way of his father first kings 16 king baasha walked in the way of jeroboam King Omri, 1 Kings 16, he walked in the way of Jeroboam. King Ahab, uh, uh, because he has sinned and made Israel sin like the house of Jeroboam. Ahaziah, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and the way of Jeroboam. King Jehoram, he... had clung to the sin of Jeroboam. Jehu did not walk careful in the Lord. He He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam. Jehoahaz, he also did what was evil in his sight. God had written in a book what Jeroboam's life was to mean. He offered him the same thing as the covenant with David. He chose not to do it, and not only did he receive destruction in his life, but he destroyed generations after him. Look, did every one of those generations have to make their own choice and decision? Yes. It's not, about, it's not about forcing someone. It's about influencing others. And you are an influence whether you know it or not. People are watching. People are seeing. And you don't even know it. There was, a, there was an orthopedic surgeon. Her name is Mary C. Neal. It's an orthopedic surgeon. She died, and the Lord uh, She had an experience with Christ after she died. The Lord gave her the ability to come back and let us know what that was. This is, and I'm quoting now from this book, To Heaven and Back. As he held me, Jesus took me through a short review of my life. If I had any preconceptions about death, it, it would have been to assume that a life review would be, stereoty- be the stereotypical image of one's, li- one's life flashing before their eyes. That wasn't my experience. I was shown events in my life, not in isolation, but in the context of their unseen ripple effects. It's easy for, all, for us all to see the impact of our words and actions that what they may have in our immediate surroundings. But to see the impact of events or words dozens of times removed was profoundly powerful. Through this experience, I was able to clearly see that every action, every decision, every human action impacts the bigger world in far more significant ways than we could ever be capable of appreciating your life is like that proverbial rock thrown into the middle of the lake. And after that rock's all the way down to the bottom, the waves are still going. Esther wasn't thinking. Oh, 2,500 years from now, They're going to be in this place called Kingwood, Texas, talking about the impact of my life on the world. It's the furthest thing from her mind. A crisis came up, and she had a choice to make. Was I going to make the right choice or the wrong one? That's as far as it went. And yet, It impacts us right here, right now. Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining in a table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. It was very, very costly. She broke this flask, and she poured it over his head. And and there were some there who who themselves were indignant. Why was the uh, ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, and that's like a year's wages, and given to the poor. And they scolded her for this. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you, have alway, you always have the poor with you, wherever you want, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. For truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world what she has done will be told in memory of her. Was she thinking, you know what, I want to do something that that later after I do this, wherever this is said, it's going to be told over the world for thousands of years to, to millions of people. Or was she thinking, thank you Jesus for forgiving me. Thank you for freeing me from my sin. Thank you for accepting me when everyone else rejected me. Thank you for showing me I had meaning and purpose and significance in your eyes. Thank you for loving me. I'm going to take everything I have, the most expensive thing I have, and pour it out on you, Jesus, because that is my heart represented in my action. And that's impacting us right now. That's what she was thinking. You are not insignificant. <laughs> I came home one day <laughs> and my wife had the washing machine entirely torn taken apart. <laughs> <laughs> See if 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 uh All I will say is it wasn't working, and she decided she was going to fix it. And after all, there is such a thing as YouTube. (laughs) So she's got this entire thing pocket, but there was this one thing she couldn't get out. And so I come walking. She goes, I need your help. Come here. I'm like, what's going on? She says, it's broken, and I'm fixing it. I'm like, okay. She says, but I can't get that part out. I said, all right, i get that part out. I reach down, and I get it out, and uh, I'm looking at it. And I noticed there was this little tiny tiny piece that I'm telling you was about three or four millimeters long. It was tiny, and these and and they were broken. This entire machine wasn't working because of this little tiny tiny what we would call insignificant piece. So fortunately, again, for Google and YouTube and all that, you can put in, and they got parts, and we got that part. We put that little piece in. She literally put the whole thing back together, and it's running better now than it has in years. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Paul writes this to the Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members... All the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. It's like this body. It's, like it's made up of, you know, how many bones? How many blood vessels? How many cells? Yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't sit here and go, and go around and, you know, look at my wife and go, my, that's a wonderful brain cell you have right there. I should. <laughs> to <Touché>. say, <laughs> I heard that. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, can you, I just picture that, like an eye walking around. It's like a bad cover to a book, right? If the whole body, where would, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one, as he chose. As he chose. If I were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, many parts, but only one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, that little tiny part of the washing machine wasn't as strong as the big old drum that spun in a circle. Those parts of the uh, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are Indispensable. Indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honor, we bestow greater honor. And on our unrepresentable parts, we treat them with greater modesty, which, uh, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the me- that, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. Uh, this is—I've used this example multiple times, but it's still—it rings true in my head. Probably because this has have actually happened to me before as a carpenter. See right here on the end of this little finger is it? This—it's called a, the distal phalanx. I think it's the fifth digit, right? Did I get that right? My wife's a hand therapist should correct me later. It's the, you know, it's the last little tiny bone. It's this little tiny bone that, you know, looks like it's small and insignificant, right? Let me, let me ask right now. I have a hammer here. Who would mind if I smashed that digit on your finger? If I took that hammer and just smashed that digit right there, I, I'm telling you, you would be feeling it from your hair to your toes. But that's just an insignificant small little part of your body, right? That one doesn't matter. You don't need it. You're not insignificant. All right. So how do we have impact? Question number one. Are you living your life for you or are you living your life for Jesus? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in glory. Seek. Set your mind. Are you seeking? Are you setting your mind? Do you actually believe that he died for you? Then are you seeking? Are you setting your mind? Number 2. Whatever you do work heartily for as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Don't worry about what somebody else is doing, what it appears they're getting away with, what it looks like on the other side. Worry about you committing your heart in whatever he's, wherever he's put you, wherever he's placed you, to work heartily unto him. He'll take care of the rest. Matthew records Jesus ask, saying this, if you want to follow me, then deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. See, if you lose, here's the, here's the paradox. If you lose your life, you're actually going to find it. That's the paradox. If you try to save it, you'll actually lose it. Then he asked this question, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? What can you possibly give in return for your soul? So number one, you want to have impact? Are you living your life for you or are you living it for Jesus? Number two, are you ignoring the voice of God in your life? I would submit to you there are people here who God has called to things and you're ignoring them. But, Lord, you don't understand. I have my path already laid out in front of me the way that I want to go. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler thought he was being theologically really good. He went to Jesus and said, listen, Lord, good teacher, good teacher. He says, how, how, um, how, uh, uh, how can I gain eternal life? He says, we'll follow the commandments. He said, oh, I've been doing that. I've been doing that forever. I'm a good person. Jesus said something to him, and we miss this. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. We get stuck up on the go sell all that you have part and miss the fact he just invited him to be among one of the disciples to live with him. We look at so much at what he's been asked to give up and don't look at what he was just offered. He was just offered to be named among the disciples, but he saw his worldly goods as too much to cost him to be named among them. Are you ignoring the voice of God? Do your life review now, don't wait till heaven. Do your life review now. Are you hurting someone because you're not loving and kind? Paul writes if we don't have love, we're nothing. We can have you know speak tongues of men and angels, prophetic powers, understand all ministry mysteries, have all knowledge and faith, move mountains and miss everything without love. Come on up. Who are you hurting because you're not loving or kind? Who are you hurting because you're not telling the truth? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. It's not love if you're not living in truth. If you're lying. Lastly, are you entangled in worldly desires and pursuits? Paul says, put it to death. James says, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there'll be disorder in every vile practice. Paul said, what's the opposite? Put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bless one another. Don't complain. Forgive one another. Just as you've been forgiven. On love. So here's my exhortation. You're not an accident. You exist in this time and a place for a reason, for a purpose. You can choose to live it out, or you can choose to reject it. God is going to bring about his plan. The question is, are you on his side or not? Your life has far more impact than you think it has. Far more. You are not insignificant. So therefore, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes.